Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. Those of you who are familiar with my garden radio shows here in Northern California, which I've been doing since 1982, might be wondering, well, what's the reason for this podcast? Well, even though I'm fond of saying all gardening is local, Garden Basics with Farmer Fred will be reaching out to gardeners wherever they may happen to be with garden tips and growing advice that apply just about anywhere. We'll strive to explain garden jargon in terms anyone can understand. And we'll be talking to garden experts from throughout the world who will share their vast plant and soil knowledge with us. And we'll be answering your gardening questions. Think of us as your one-room schoolhouse for growing your backyard garden of fruits, vegetables, and oh yeah, flowers that attract the garden good guys, beneficial insects, and pollinators. And we'll have some fun too. Let's get started. Quit growing fruit trees, will you? Grow fruit bushes instead. We talk with a nursery person who wrote a book advocating keeping all your fruit trees no taller than you can reach from the ground. That way you can grow more varieties of peaches, plums, apples, oranges, and other fruit-bearing plants in your yard without ever a need to get on a ladder. And you're still going to harvest enough fruit for you and your family with plenty left over. Hey, do you have old packets of seeds around? Are they still viable? Our in-house college horticulture professor has tips for increasing seed germination from those old seed packages. Spring and summer are the colorful seasons for zinnias, an annual flower that attracts hummingbirds, pollinators, and other beneficial insects. And zinnias just might be good for your mental health because of their brightly colored blooms and their multiple uses both outdoors and indoors. It's all in episode 13 of Garden Basics with Farmer Fred, and we're going to do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. You've heard me talk for years about backyard orchard culture, about the benefits of keeping your fruit and nut trees small. That way you can have more trees in a smaller, sunny spot. But you don't believe me. Maybe you'll believe Ann Ralph. She's written a great book called Grow a Little Fruit Tree, Simple Pruning Techniques for Small Space, Easy Harvest Fruit Trees. Anne is based in Amador County, and uh, Anne, uh, your influences are much the same as mine, Ed Livo. Uh, tell us uh, how, how you came across Ed. I was working at Scenic Nursery in Modesto, California. We had uh, Tim Rogers, was the owner of the nursery, and he insisted that we cut the trees short when um, they went out the door. And I knew that Jim was right about almost everything, but I didn't like doing it. And one day, Ed came in to the nursery. He was our sales representative from Dave Wilson Nursery. He came into the nursery with an nectarine that um, I could not forget. So I had to chop a little fruit tree for myself. Jim wouldn't let me out of the nursery without pruning the tree short. I saw what happened to the tree, and that's how I came to write the book. Yeah, then let's talk about that, because I'm sure you've given public demonstrations, as I have uh, during bare root planting season, where you stand in front of a a crowd with a six-foot stick, basically, a a bare root fruit tree or nut tree, and you chop it off at the knee, 
and, a, and an audible gasp goes up from the crowd. And you know right away that a lot of people think you just killed the tree. But in reality, when you cut off that new bare root fruit tree to knee high, what are some of the things that happens to that tree as a result? Well, the, the, the first and most important thing is that it lowers the scaffold and puts the tree in front of you instead of, if you don't prune it, it's just going to grow higher, 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 higher. Um, the second thing it does is it starts building strength into the tree that does not naturally exist without that prune. It's, uh, it, but it is emotionally difficult. <laughs> um, but I would say if you can't do that prune, then you really are better off not growing a fruit tree. As I'm fond of saying, uh, any piece of fruit that's outside of your reach while you stand on the ground, it's for the birds. And it literally is for the birds. So it makes perfect sense to have your fruit trees no taller than you can reach in order to uh, have a healthy tree. Because one of the benefits of having a, a six or seven foot or even an eight foot fruit tree, it's easy to net to keep the birds away come harvest time. Well, and I talk too about uh, how much fruit people really overestimate the amount of fruit they actually use. You want to be growing fruit so that you have the amount of fruit that you can use because too much fruit is a real nightmare scenario. It's all on the, it's all rotting on the ground. Exactly. That fruit that's rotting, not only is it for the birds, but it might as well be for the worms as well. That's right. Now, yeah. speaking of worms, you're a big fan of using worm castings. Yes, I am. Uh, tell us how you use worm castings. Um, what I do, I, I use them, I, they're, they're a little more expensive than other mulches, so I use them like medicine. I put them anywhere where I anticipate a problem. I use them around apple trees for coddling moss. They're wonderful around citrus for scale. And I can't tell you how this works. I believe that Organic Gardening Magazine is, is just starting to do some research. Uh, but the anecdotal evidence is really strong. My personal experience is great with this. But the, the, fruit, the fruit trees love them. They help keep the coddling moth away. And they help anytime there's an insect problem, I put worm castings at the base of the tree, about a half an inch out to the drip line. Now, you mentioned also when you're talking about worm casting, something I didn't realize about the chitin effect may keep away certain insects. That's right. Um, yeah, insects are made of chitin, and this is one stipulation. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a scientist, and, but, but this is one thing that, that the, the earthworm growers have said, that the chitinase may be the, the ingredient that keeps, keeps the insects. Chitinase degrades chitin, and that may keep the insects away. I don't know why it works. But, I, but I've had really good experience with it. Exactly. And you make that very clear in the book that uh, this is all anecdotal evidence when it comes to worm castings. Right. Right. But still, I would encourage, you know, people with scale problems on their citrus, especially people with problem moth in their apples. That's not all they need to do, but certainly that would be a good thing to start with. Tell us a little bit about your backyard orchard. Uh, how? What is the spacing of your fruit trees? What sort of fruit trees do you have in your yard? Okay. I've got about, um, I've got uh, six trees and they are, I think, probably about um, eight feet apart. I've got something that looks like a mini orchard um, because I have a little bit of space. But you can certainly use this technique to grow things against the fence. But mine, mine are—it's—it's it's a young orchard, so they're not very big yet. They're—they're—they're uh, they're, they're not taller than I am, so they're about—they're about six feet tall. 
and I've got a uh, Silver Queen Pluot. I've got a French Prune. I've got a Sierra Beauty Apple. I've got a Hudson Golden Gem Apple. I've got a Mary Crest Nectarine, and I've got a Mystery Peach that I got free from the nursery. You point out in your book, and, and, and very rightly so, that especially in the world of stone fruits, nothing beats the taste of a homegrown stone fruit. And I bet you and I are, are both big fans of the Pluot, the Plum Apricot Cross. Oh, yes. And, yes. you know, you, you tell people you got to try a Pluot. And what happens is they go to the grocery store and buy one of those Pluots and they go, eh, it was okay. Well, you need to grow one at home. That's right. That's Oh, that's so right. <laughs> I was passing around Pluots to my neighbors. They'd never had them before. And that was a terrific experience for all of us. Oh, their eyes light up. Yes, it, 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 it's a big reaction. So I, yeah, Flavor Queen is the one I've got. And they're not, you know, it's not It's not what I would call a beautiful fruit. It's, it's just an orange, you know, kind of a yellow-orange, plum-looking thing. But it's just tremendous. And it's, it's a fairly uh, steady performer, too. Some Pluots might have on and off years, like the Flavor Supreme, one of my favorites. But the Flavor Queen, that seems to produce very well year after year. Yeah, it's a little truck. <laughs> yeah, it is. And uh, I've got the uh, Flavor Queen, the Flavor Supreme, and the Dapple Dandy, and I'm very happy with those three. Which one's your favorite? Well, I really like the Flavor Supreme. Uh, okay. That That's usually the first one that matures, and I just love the sweet flavor of it. But it seems that with a lack of chilling hours or chilling units, the Flavor Supreme isn't performing as well as it did 10 years ago. Right, and that that's a situation that seems to be getting worse um, as the climate changes, and people need to be aware, I think maybe more aware of chill hours than we used to because of this. More and more people are sort of changing the way they look at it instead of talking about chill hours, which are hours at 45 degrees or below. They're thinking of chill units, which takes into consideration the heat during the day, which can actually subtract from the chill hours at night. Okay. You briefly mentioned about trellising or espalying, and for people with really small yards, that's a great way to go for fruit trees by uh, basically stringing them along a wall or a fence. And you talk about that in your book, "Grow a Little Fruit Tree." That's well. There, there are a couple. There are a couple ways. There are a couple ways to do that. There's informal espalier, and that's just making your tree two-dimensional. You cut off everything that's growing forward. You can you can have a fruit tree that has one flat side and, and let it grow uh, dimensionally into the yard if you want something that looks more like a tree. Or you can make these formal espaliers, um, the uh, apples and pears do that very nicely. Stronger fruits, that's hard to do with apricots. Apricots or, or stone fruits respond better to a, to an informal espalier. And perhaps a tree that, that's known for its sprawling nature, the fig tree can take well to espalier, can't oh, it? Oh, yeah, they're beautiful. Right. Yeah, there's a beautiful picture in, in the book of, a, of an espalier pick. Exactly, against a wall. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it looked very nice. The name of the book, again, is Grow a Little Fruit Tree. It's by Anne Ralph. It's available wherever books are sold. Anne Ralph, a pleasure talking with you about fruit trees this morning. Same here. Thank you. And if you want more information about the book, Grow a Little Fruit Tree, click on the link in today's show notes at the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. Here 
on the Garden Basics podcast, we want to answer your garden questions. A couple of ways you can do that. Give us a call, 916-292-8964. That number again, 916-292-8964. You can either leave a message or you can text that number as well. Be patient. There are a lot of rings before we pick up. Another way is email. Send your garden questions to fred at farmerfred.com. That's fred at farmerfred.com. One benefit of email is you can attach a photo of a bug or a plant that you're trying to identify. We're looking forward to hearing and seeing your questions. And thanks for listening to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. I appreciate all your support and all your comments. Here on the Garden Basics Podcast, we like to answer your questions. You can send them in via email, over the phone, uh, through Facebook or Twitter. Well, you know, you just heard how you can send your questions in. Here's an email that came in from Dorothy who says that she dug out all my old packages of seeds. I have one bag of potting soil. I heard someone on your show, maybe Debbie Flower, suggesting soaking seeds in warm water and peroxide. Well, let's ask Debbie. Debbie, why would you yeah. soak seeds in warm water and peroxide? Well, I have to tell you, the, the, the reason this came up was I was teaching. And when in teaching, we did a lot of production. We had plant sales. And we grew tomatoes and peppers and flowers and, and shrubs and trees, many things. And we were having trouble getting our pepper seeds to germinate uh, quickly and and sort of all at once. When you're in production, you want things to germinate uh, pretty much at the same time so that when you go to sell them, they're about the same size as each other. And so I I looked around for uh, possible solutions to that. And and one thing I came across, uh, it is not a scientific study. It was just that someone did it and it worked for them, was to soak the pepper seeds in hydrogen peroxide only and do it for 10 minutes. And so we tried it. You know, gardening in many ways is all about experimentation. Teaching, learning is about experimentation. So we tried it. And for us, it worked. We got better, more even uh, germination of our pepper seeds. So the only thing I've used it on is pepper seeds. And the only time was when I was teaching uh, students in, in college. So it was 10 minutes, pepper seeds, 10 minutes in straight hydrogen peroxide. And then we drained them and planted them. So uh, I tried that myself uh, because, as you know, to germinate pepper seeds, uh, normally it takes uh, two to three weeks for you to s- mm-hmm. see the uh, plant emerge from the soil. And I tried it. I soaked it in hydrogen peroxide for 10 minutes. And then I plopped it between two coffee filters, kept them moist uh, on the counter, and uh, they germinated in six or seven days and then i took those little germinated seeds and and put them in seed starting mix and and they came up yes so it it again anecdotally which means no one has done a controlled experiment that i'm aware of on this but people i know who have used the soaking just in hydrogen peroxide have had success and with germinating pepper seeds but will it help dorothy and her old packages of seeds Old packages of seeds uh, have a life, and the the seeds in those packages have a life, and the, the life is very much dependent on how she stored those seed packages. We want seeds to do best if they're stored cool and dry, and different seeds last different uh, numbers of years. I, I really can't tell her if it's going to help her with her uh, getting her seed packages to germinate. What you did by germinating them on the counter 
can can we did that in school as a um, germination test. We actually used paper towels, laid the seeds down the middle of the paper towels, folded the towel in half, rolled it up, wet it, and then stood it up so the fold where the seeds were right in the middle of the paper towel is standing up in a jar and put a plastic bag over it to see if the seeds were going to germinate. We used 10 seeds because that it, the math on 10 seeds is pretty easy. If two germinate, then you're going to have 20% germination. If 10 germinate, then you're going to have 100% germination. So it's a way to test whether those seeds are going to germinate. And that's probably what Dorothy should do with each of her packages of old seeds is, is lay out 10 on a paper towel or a moist coffee filter and uh, come back in a few days and see if you see any roots poking out. Right. And if they are, they often grow right into that paper towel. Uh, you may have experienced that with the coffee filter, but you just cut cut around the keeping the root and the paper towel together and bury that in the media and the seed can grow from there on. You bet your booties that uh, if you grow seeds in a paper <laughs> towel, it gets caught in those fibers. And that's why I switched over to coffee filters because it's less fibrous and I didn't have any problem moving them. Uh, in my case, those pepper seeds after they had germinated into uh, starting soil. But I like your idea too, of just cutting out that little piece of uh, wet paper towel and then sticking that in the media. Either either way works. All but right. You always teach me something, Fred. I didn't know that about the coffee filter. So thank you for that. Oh, anytime. And uh, Dorothy, store your seeds in a place where they have the greatest chance for viability in, in upcoming years. And that would be in a cool, dry location. Yes. Not in the garage. All right. Right. Debbie Flower, we germinated some information today. Thank you for your efforts in this behalf. Always love learning something new. Thanks, Fred. How many of you have ever taken a fruit pit, stuck a couple of toothpicks in it, and suspended it over a glass of water with about half the pit sitting in the water? Pretty soon, roots develop. Well, now you might be tempted to take that pit with the roots and stick it in the ground. That may not work. Debbie Flower, our in-house college horticulture professor, explains why. And she explained this back in episode five as far as starting cuttings of rosemary in water versus soil. When you do some research, if you do some research on the Internet about propagating rosemary, many people suggest sticking the cuttings in water and you'll find pictures of cuttings with in water in a clear glass and roots coming out the bottom. And it's very true that that will work, but the quality of root that is produced in water is very different from the quality of root that is produced in uh, a media and a media being a soil or soilless mix. And the reason for that is the, the difference in the amount of oxygen in the two uh, materials. Water has oxygen when it first comes out of the tap, but as it sits there, the oxygen leaves. And so it becomes very low in oxygen and you get a low oxygen root. But if you stick the cutting in the mix I suggested, half perlite, half vermiculite, or in a seed starting mix, you, there's much more oxygen in that media and you will get a different root. And if your plan is to ultimately grow the the plant, the rosemary, on in, in a pot of soil, then you want to start your cutting in soil, not in water. The Dallas Morning News recently had an editorial about the coronavirus potential effect on us, the mental effect to us, as well as our collective well-being. The editorial said, 
While it may not be as obvious as job losses and coronavirus fatalities, the nation is on the cusp of a spiraling mental health crisis, according to the experts. The article talked about the need for more innovative delivery of mental health services to those in need. Well, that just might be all of us. And that leads me back to uh, cite one of those six daily quarantine or shelter-in-place questions that you should ask yourself every day. Number six on that list was, what beauty am I either creating, cultivating, or inviting in today? Well, how about inviting in the sight of a window box or large pots of zinnias outside your bedroom window? Natural beauty, such as flowers, has a calming effect on us. Wouldn't it be nice and soothing that the first and last thing you see each day out your window are the bright spring, summer, and fall blooms of zinnias? Right now is zinnia growing season. Nurseries have a good stock of zinnias available right now. But if you want an even more dazzling, eye-catching variety of happiness, plant several of the more unusual zinnias that you'll find at the nursery's seed rack. There are literally hundreds of zinnia cultivars available, Heights range from 6 inches to between 3 and 4 feet tall, and they come in a wide variety of flower colors. And if you have some trepidation about growing from seed, let me reassure you, zinnias are among the easiest of all flowers to grow. You can plant zinnia seeds where you want them to grow, and May and June is the best time to plant them. Zinnias do best in full sun, but they can put on a colorful show in an area that gets, oh, maybe 4 to 6 hours of direct sun a day. Plant them not too deeply, about a quarter of an inch deep, cover them lightly, firm the soil, and keep moist until the seedlings emerge, and that'll just be in a few days, definitely less than a week. Then you want to thin them to stand perhaps 9 to 12 inches apart after they're just a few inches tall. And don't let that word thinning scare you either. Thinning just involves removing a plant. And if you don't want to throw it out, well don't. Plant it someplace else. The bright blooms of zinnias make them a favorite of hummingbirds and other pollinators as well as beneficial insects such as bees, hoverflies, and mini wasps. Don't worry, these wasps don't sting. They just go after the bad guys in your garden like tomato hornworms. Well, after the hummingbirds and beneficial insects have had their fill of the nectar, seeds will develop as the flowers mature, and that attracts a whole host of seed-loving birds like sparrows and finches. And you know what else is great about zinnias is the wide variety of flower shapes that they have. Recently, I planted a wide variety of red zinnia seeds, several different varieties of red zinnias with different flower shapes and differing heights. Those red varieties that I planted include Dreamland Red, which gets about 10 to 12 inches tall, Magellan Scarlet, 12 to 14 inches tall, and then they start getting taller. Red Spider Zinnia gets 18 to 24 inches, Cinderella Red is 24 inches, and Parks Picks is a deep red zinnia that gets a whopping 3 to 4 feet tall. If you go to the notes for today's show, there's a link there to Park Seed, as well as Johnny Seeds that can show you some of the amazing zinnia varieties that are available when you plant from seed. And when you're done enjoying them in the garden, or even while you're enjoying them in the garden, bring the flowers indoors. Zinnias make wonderful, long-lasting cut flowers. It's spring and summer happiness for both the outdoors and the indoors. Zinnias will bring a smile to your face and everyone else that sees them. And you know, a smile is a good start to better mental health.
Thank you for listening to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. I appreciate your ears. How about a subscription? You can get the podcast wherever podcasts are given away, such as Apple, Spotify, Google, iHeart, Stitcher, and many more. So I have a brand new ebook called Get Your Garden Started. It's about vegetable gardening for the very beginningest beginner. Hold on a second. So hold, hold on. Oh. We're waiting for the dogs to stop barking in the background here. <laughs> Is that it? Are you done? I think they're done. Okay, so uh, why don't you pick it up uh, with uh, what, what's in the bundle? Ah, okay. So the ultimate. Oh, I can hear them again. Okay, Here's... hold on. I have to get up and yell. <laughs> I'll be right back. Okay. Quiet! There. Okay. Jeez, oh, I'd be quiet, too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was a mom voice. That was awesome. Well, that, that comes from uh, experience of biking a lot and being chased by dogs. And in that same oh. voice saying, go home, it's amazing how it slows dogs or even stops them. <laughs> that's that's good to know. Yes. One writer who was behind me once said, "Gee, I almost turned around." <laughs> uh, right? Yes. Oh my goodness. <laughs>